connected community, and we are a um, beautiful body of believers. And if you're wondering um, if Jesus is raised from the dead, then we can answer that for you. Come and sit among us. And come and walk with us and come experience the power and the wonder of life in Christ. And so um, that's my prayer for us as a church, not just as we gather in this room, although it ought to be formidable as we gather in this room, but as we um, make our way throughout the city, we should be able to say, what a beautiful name it is. His name is Jesus. And that's what's happening among us. And I know to many who are far from him, yet being drawn near because of who we are in Christ, we would go, I don't know what you've been seeing, but what I want you to know and what you're seeing is Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, the, the fourth chapter, he just says some things about us that are so powerful. He says, for we know this, that the one who raised Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. And he will present us with you. For we know that the one who raised Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with him and present us with you. And this is beautiful because we want you to know this so that everything is for the benefit of the glory of Christ as his grace extends through more and more people. It causes thanksgiving to increase. For the praise and the glory of the living God. What a beautiful name that is among us. And then he says in chapter 5, he goes on and says extraordinary things in all of chapter 5. And he says, so therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we're just put on this earth for this purpose. We want to persuade people with our lips and with our lives that there is this name that has captured our heart. What a beautiful name it is. Amen. Yes. Just checking in. And so he's, I mean, just how are we giving this assured proof of the resurrection? It's because Jesus is moving and he's alive among us. And I, I just, I was thinking this morning, and I don't have sentences for this. I was just imagining or dreaming about what would it look like in a resurrection community? What would it look like for a people who are saying Jesus Christ is alive among us? And I, I thought it would look like what we have just studied for the past hour. People who are gathered together and saying, please don't be drawn to any other name. Don't be drawn to any other story. Don't be drawn to any church name. Be drawn to Jesus. As John the Baptist magnified for us, and he was, of all people, unlike most of us in this room, he was gathering this massive crowd around him. And he says, can you imagine what would happen if all we do is point toward the resurrected Messiah? And in fact, as his followers started to go, he's going like, you're doing exactly what I've been setting up from the day that I started speaking. And could that be true of us as well? Imagine a place where, where all we're doing is speaking of the resurrected Jesus. That all we're about is Jesus alive and that more importantly or equally as importantly or more glorious for us, that's maybe the right words to say, is that we're talking and speaking of this reality. And I once was dead, but I have likewise been made alive in Jesus. You know this, this empty tomb we talk about? It is my empty grave. It is my passion and my promise. And imagine this, a place where this resurrection community, if you want to see Jesus alive, imagine a place where we're gathered in the broken over and over and made whole. Imagine a place where I was just reading through Matthew 5, where we actually believe and we express and we live out this truth and reality that the humble truly inherit the earth. That as the people we're walking about and saying, what did you think my purpose was on this earth? It was to point you toward Christ. 
That just sunk in with me. I mean, I, I wonder if we would walk about and as, as John the Baptist, as we studied this morning in groups, and if you weren't in a group, we invite you into one next weekend. But as we studied and talked about John the Baptist, he just really looked and said, what did you think I've been talking about all this time? I have been pointing toward him, and it is no surprise to his followers. And he's looking and going, there is the one that you find. I am humble of heart. Go pursue Jesus. That's all I have pointed toward. That would make for an extraordinary church that would draw many. Jesus said it this way, if you will lift up my cross, it will draw men and women. And if we could be a church where just the only thing left that was amplifying in this room at the end of the day would be Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You you are the Holy One. You are the Beautiful One. It's the only name that stands. Imagine the pure in heart that we're in this room, for if that were us, we would see God. This is what Jesus is saying to us as He preaches on a hill. Imagine the peacemakers, for they are truly the children of God. If you want to see a resurrected community, come into a group of people, because all throughout this room are the humble of heart. There are people who are sitting in this room saying, how do we draw you to the one who has brought peace to us, who by his blood we have wholeness and we are made forgiven, perfect, and one with God. We have peace with God. And blessed are those of us in this room who are at peace, for we are walking about this earth as peacemakers. Imagine that community of faith that is gathering like that, a place of healing and hope and possibility, as I shared last week, a place where There would be gatherings of us where we are sitting in this room holding our birthday cake and going, we are so thankful that we were once at Agnes. And someone looked at us and saw more than who we were. I can pinpoint you back to Arlington, Jacksonville. In the area of Arlington is a guy named Don looked at me and spoke things into my life. And ultimately what he was doing was handing me a birthday cake and saying, Mark, I see in you and believe in you more than what you see in yourself. And I am a peacemaker. I am humble. I know who Jesus is. I know what he has done. And I want to hand you this cake. And it was beautiful as he spoke that into my life because he saw no fruit from that. And he would have never seen fruit had I not three years later called him and said, do you remember when we were sitting at Lake Yell and you said these words to me, they soaked into my soul. You saw things and you baked a cake for me and I walked out the door and what you didn't see is that I held on to that truth because you were a peacemaker. You pointed me to Jesus. You saw more in me than I saw in myself. Blessed are those who make up the community of the resurrected saints of Jesus Christ. If you want to see Jesus, just come sit around with us and we will make peace for you because He's made peace for us. We will be humble before you because He is the ultimate in humility, and we will speak life to you because we have had life spoken into us. So what, what, how do you tell me Jesus is resurrected from the dead? Well, come hang out in the middle of His church, because we are rooted in the heart of the wisdom of God. And our lives are just centered in the presence and the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And we are gathering together and we are made manifest as a community by the wisdom of the Word and the power of the Spirit of God. And it moves among us and we just live life because of Jesus at our center. And what what did this call to live life for us is about conviction and preparation that leads us into a more beautiful picture of the body of believers. 
I just want to go to a, a story in the Acts, the 16th chapter. As I made my way through Acts, I, can't, I just can't help but doing that and praying that God would create an Acts church. And in the, in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul and Silas are doing something radical. They've just been thrown into prison in Acts 16, verses 25 and 26. I don't, I don't know what would happen if you, but if, imagine if you were locked up with Paul and Silas. Imagine what it would have been like to experience this. About midnight, they were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening in on this, and it's a pretty powerful moment. They're, so they're, here's what happens when people who are centered in the resurrection of Jesus, and they are in prison, and it's midnight. They're praying, and they're singing hymns to God, and all the prisoners around them are clanging the walls going, you know, would you shut up? And they're just going, we're going to sing some more. And we're going to pray some more. And we're going to see this wonder of God. And then here's what's powerful that happens. There was such a violent earthquake, verse 26 says, that the foundations of the jail were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. I've already spoken about that. But that just excites me a little bit to stop and consider the power of the gospel of Christ and what happens among the resurrection community in the heart of a prison, that as we sing that the chains are gone, and that people around us are receptive of hearing of the gospel. And why are we here, by the way? To persuade men and women. To sit in the midst of it and sing songs. You're, they're, they're resting. They are abiding. They are preparing to move with God. And an earthquake comes. And, and here's what is powerful for me. And, and I don't know if this will land in your heart as deeply as this has landed in mine. And I think what may happen is two or three weeks from now, you're going to be still thinking about this. And the Holy Spirit is still going to be moving around. But here's what happened is, is an earthquake came. They're in prison They believe their purpose on earth is to make much of the name of God so the chains fall away. Um, Let me. This is not a rhetorical question. And so you've been imprisoned. It's really not for any just cause. You find yourself in prison. You're worshiping Jesus. It's a powerful moment of worship. You're lifting holy hands to him. Shackles are just chains are clanging beside you. You sense an earthquake. The chains are gone. So here's my question. What's the first thing that you do? What's your assumption? Run, thank you very much. Anything else you would do? I don't know what um, the brilliant one on my right just said, but it was probably fantastic, Jeff. Duck and cover, I mean, we're going to get out of there. That's their first thought. That's the first thought of those who who might be in. This isn't a rebuke or a refutation. This is powerful for me because that's not his first thought. And what happens if our first thought is not God's thought and we fail as a body of believers to be in in preparation for what God is doing and sensitivity from His Spirit and a true move of God where we have brothers who are sitting there because in this moment, despite the fact that the physical chains are gone, Paul and Silas see some far more beautiful purpose in their lives because they realize I'm not here so that chains are gone and my life is simpler and easier. I am here to persuade men and women out of conviction and out of preparation for the sake of the gospel. And I am not standing up here preaching that my first response wouldn't be yours. I would be booking it out of there and singing hymns while I ran. I think most of us in this room would do that. 
unless we were in the midst of the Spirit of God and we had conviction and we had preparation and the Lord Himself has said, your chains are gone, but you're bound to me and what you're about to do is unleash heaven in the middle of the prison cell and here's what's going to happen. So instead of me just making much of this, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of this prison standing open, he drew his sword, he was going to take his life, he thought they had escaped and Paul said in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself. We're building the church of Jesus Christ here. And it's already started just outside these walls. And we would like to introduce you and your family to Jesus Christ. They're going to meet Lydia and her family. And we also have a child who used to be a sorcerer. She's a part of this movement. And so we're right here because our first step isn't our convenience or what looks easiest or what's most prevailing to us, our passion and our conviction and our preparation may even invite us to lay down our lives for the persuasion of men and women. That's heavy. And as I said this morning, you may not immediately say, I get all of that because I have not yet. I was sitting in a Wednesday night class and I've looked and preached this section of Scripture in this church several times. And I was sitting in a Wednesday night class and the Lord was just... He was just shredding me for my own personal preferences, for my own longing for convenience, for my own love of um, being able to say, as long as it doesn't interfere with my life, I'll do your gig, Jesus. And the Lord was saying, how about, Mark, if I leave you in prison, in the mess, so that you can stand in that and hear my Holy Spirit and lead the guard and many of those around you and build a church for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus. That is a radically and passionately different look of what it means as we've talked about in the last week of being convicted about the things of God. A resurrection of community knows this, that what may be our second choice could be God's first. And we know that our lives are to be centered in who Jesus is. There's, this would be my prayer. There's no ambiguity among us. The purpose that we have to live and breathe and be Mandarin Baptist Church is not so that that name is made great. There's no ambiguity for us. We are here to persuade men and women to come to know Jesus as Rescuer and Savior. And therefore, we sacrifice and lay down our lives as a resurrection community for the sake of that reality and that truth. And it means that it's not always going to be the easiest or most simplistic task, but we are here by the grace of God and through the goodness of God to be a people of persuasion for the sake of God. I wrote down some questions last week, so I've given the annotated version. So do, I, do you and I own the responsibility to prepare for that? Do we own that? Are we saying, God, I'm fasting, praying, seeking, pursuing? Are we wholehearted? Are we zealous for the things of God? I mean, would it surprise you to hear of, of, of one of our fellow um, members of the body just saying, I'm staying in this circumstance And it's surprising to you, but I already knew the jailer's being drawn to Jesus. The Spirit of God whispered that. Would that surprise you for some of our friends? And I I hope not. Are we sharpened by others? I I said last week, and that goes up and down lines. Are, are, Are we learning from younger generations? Are we learning from older generations? Are we avoiding train wrecks by letting people speak into our lives? Do we persevere? And do we, would people describe us? And I don't, I don't know the answer to this. I know my personal answer of an us isn't that we're, we're not this great at this yet. Would people describe us as a place of celebration? 
where even when the smallest step toward Jesus, we just rise up and go, hallelujah, praise you, God. And we have parties and fests because God is at work. Because when they walked out, I promise, the church just got a little more rampant and radical as they came walking out of the prison a little later than they anticipated. Are we good at that? And if not, let's become really good at that. Like a guest, I would love to grab guests for the next month and say, when you walk in, do you sense that you're in the midst of a resurrection community? Surround yourself with people whose character you trust, whose judgment is wise, who love God unequivocally, who care about your well-being, and are inviting you in and allow them to speak wisdom into your life. And out of that, there will be this authentic Christian resurrection community of faith. I put it this way in your notes. Authenticity among one another will become transformative. Now, I was um, reading, and I began this series sharing this note, and I don't, I don't have a clue how um, this would have been read. I think it would just have been sitting on steps. I just pictured it this way. I, I began just saying, what would, what would we do to describe our faith community? And if Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we should point people to this. And I, I didn't get that from a grand idea of my own. I got that from a disciple who wrote one of the earliest apologetics of the defense of the faith, um, a disciple's note to Dionysus. And I just wanted to read a portion of this, and it should come up on the screen as I read. And, and here's, here's an activity. Should we call it an activity? Here's an exercise. Here is something I would love for us to do together as a church um, throughout this week. Here's, here's why he said you should, you should just really believe that Jesus is resurrected. I just see a disciple sitting before Dionysus who is everything but a follower of Jesus. He's a skeptic. He believes nothing in, in, about Jesus or that he is a resurrected Savior. And here's what, Dion, what the, the disciple was saying to Dionysus. As citizens, so, so think about our body of believers, this makeup, the people around you right now. What would you write about them? If you're writing a defense of the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were truly describing our faith community, a transformative community of the resurrection of Jesus. This powerful statement is, um, is, is what he said to say, hey, look, here's who they are. As citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as if foreigners. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws with their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. I love this sentence. They are poor, and yet they make many rich. They're in lack of things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and when they are reviled, they bless. This is the body of Christ that I want to introduce to you, Dionysus. They are insulted, and here's what they do when insulted. They repay that insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. Conviction and compassion for them, it is a persuasion. It compels those who are far to draw near to God. The number among them becomes greater. I love what he said, and I shared this three weeks ago, and I share it again. If you want to see Jesus resurrected from the dead, I don't really have to share any other thing. We could go prophecies. We could go archaeology. What I want to say to you is come sit in the middle of this group. So Dionysus, I want to describe their actions 
and their behavior and who they are. And I just, I want you to experience this. And, and I thought a great, a great thing. I was praying about this last night. And it was just to share this with one another as we gather the next time you come together, whether it be Wednesday night or Sunday morning, that a great thing that we would be able to do is just sit down and begin to write of your experiences and what conviction and convincing that you would give to your friend who is far from God because of your relationship with this fellowship. And if you just came and said, I want to tell you a story about what God is doing in our midst, and, and if you're not able to write something quite as convincing as a disciple to Dionysus, then would we begin, as I have already shared, to become a place of prayer and fasting and conviction and preparation so that we could write a letter that says, this is a resurrection community and there is no doubt among us. So I I would love for you just to say, as a disciple of Jesus, and you can fill in your friend's name, I want to tell you about why you should fall in love with Jesus. Because the people who surround me are radical for the sake of who he is. How's that feel? How does that sound to be able to just pull out a pad of paper? For me, I have kind of two feelings. I'll just, in one sense, I think, gosh, I just read that. They were radical. And then I start pondering some of the friendships I've had over my period in life with Christ, and I start to think, I've had some friends who are crazy for the sake of Christ. And I would love to share some stories, and I maybe want to put that down in a letter form and just say to some friends who are far, you should see and experience why Jesus turns my life upside down. And it's because I've had people like Don Minton step into my life and say things to me that I never dreamed of myself. I I think it's beautiful and powerful just to say, Lord, would you do that? Would you move? And I, as I look at the early church, I see this word that emerges among them. This word that is just as we are moving outward, the numbers of those who are with us become greater. There's one word that just captures my heart and as I read of a resurrection church, a New Testament community found in the book of Acts. And it just is the descriptive over and over. If you'll read the book of Acts, the reason this is entitled One Heart is because of this word. There's this word that just keeps emerging over and over. It's the word all, A-L-L. All, A-W-E would be a very fitting word as well because A-L-L was A-L-E of God. And they just lived in all of who Jesus is. And I just read throughout this saying, God, you're moving in this midst. And like, for instance, all 3,000 were together. They heard this message. They were cut to the heart and they were baptized together. All of them. One fell swoop. All the believers met together constantly and they shared everything they had. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Would you describe that? If you're writing that letter, are you going to write and say, this is who we are. We're one in heart and mind. The church was a movement for all. The church was moving within all, and it was a movement for all. And this all was expanding, and this is a a sentence that I have fallen in love with. They're, They're all kept expanding to more all. Because their letter of their life, the very essence of who they were, was in all of the living God. And as all of them gathered together with one heart, one mind, one soul, one glory, one name, one Jesus, they all kept getting bigger, more of them, more all. I was reading a note this week that just moved me. And as I write my letter, this would, this would fall in my letter. 
Um, I got this email on Friday this week, I believe, and it just helped me understand the awe of what God is doing here. And this came from Kim Carr, and so this isn't some old story. This is a story of today, and she just said, I want you to know there's a beautiful day in the heart and life of the International Learning Center, and so we're a part of that. This is a part of who we are as a church, if you're a guest today. And, and I want you to know this, that um, in this past week, there are 41 ladies who came to know Jesus as Savior. Yeah, they all just got better. And I love her parenthetical. These are immigrants and refugees that have made their way here. But this is what's powerful for me. It isn't, oh, we had a service and we sang and then we said, um, you know, a sinner's prayer and then they all signed the card. That wasn't it. These decisions are not after a single presentation. They're at the end of a year of ongoing reading classes from Scripture every week as we have built the foundation of who God is, who we are, what our sin is, the need for a Savior, the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of a year of that, all along the way we've been sharing, and by the way, you just clapped for those 41, 98 others throughout the year have said yes to Jesus. And the other 41 just said yes to Jesus this past week. And then she says, and oh, by the way, church, would you pray for us? Because the men are coming this week. Jillian's up there. She's celebrating. I don't see Kim. There's Ron. This is a part of who we are. I read this to my children who week in and week out go and sit down with their children and share this gospel story. And I think that that's what makes some things crazy for us is that some of our crazy decisions aren't your crazy decisions, but what happens when all of us are longing for more all. And we're finding that place where we're saying, God, we know there are better things in our mind than we could do with this night we also know that the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus will stand forever. And so this night, we're going to keep driving down there. And I don't know what your driving down there is, but I know that for many of us, that drive and that whatever God has called us to can become wearying, tiring, hard, and frustrating. And I would just say, who is it that is helping you stand up? Who is it that is helping you endure? What are you doing to prepare? And what are you doing to stand in to say eternity is forever? It is beautiful and one name stands. It's Jesus. And we want his name to be lifted high and we want to be a resurrection community of faith. So next Tuesday, would you just join with me in praying that a slew of men say yes to Jesus? I just read that and thought that's beautiful. My last sentence about this off of her notes. This is the highest percentage of decisions in the history of the ILC. And then Jesus has done exceedingly, abundantly, above what we could ask or imagine. And it's the power that works within us. I think that Jesus just said, look, I want you, I want you to do something beautiful for my namesake. And I, I know that, that it will require sacrifice. I know that it will require laying down your life. But I think that Paul and Silas, you're going to find that staying in that prison for an extra few hours was so irreparable. I think that you were going to find that listening to my spirit, and rather than letting that jailer run himself through, you were obedient to step into his life. And he and his whole family started to become the backbone and makeup this extraordinary church in the region of Philippi. It was worth it. I, um, 
I, w- I want to end with just two scriptures, Luke 15, 1 and 2. And just to say to you, this is worth it to create this atmosphere of a resurrection community of faith. To say, God, what does it look like for us to turn our hearts? And I, I'll pick a long story short. I was going to be goofy with story, and I'll still be goofy because I am goofy. But I, have you ever been locked out of your house? I know John Turner has. Not your house, per se, but um, I was hanging out. Is John in the room? Is he, somebody should text him and say, the pastor's talking about you right now, and we've locked the doors to the church. You can't get back in. I was with John yesterday in the parking lot of Publix. His uh, pocket lock was coming to let him back in his car. And so um, I was locked out one time out of our house. It was where we lived prior. And, and uh, you know, we have like 37 people that live in our house. So surely somebody's home, right? So I'm kind of pounding on the door, and, and nobody comes and answers. And so um, I use the garage code to get in, by the way. You know, the little thing in your car or the other one that never works or the code. And it never works either. And so I had 0 for 3 on that one. So um, for me, um, my kids would never sneak out of the house. But for this bright, shining moment, I had this hope that maybe one of them had, and they left the lower window open. So I start circling the house, trying the windows. Praise the Lord. None of them had snuck out of the house. You know? It was awesome. And so I kind of circled the whole house, checked the back patio door. I kind of got to the front door. I got to lean my head in. I had hidden a key before, but I'd taken it inside. I'd put it in a little bowl. I could picture it sitting right there. I just am leaning against the front door going, you know, do, how badly do I really want to get in? I have no idea when anybody's coming home. Do I just bust a window or not? And I just rested my hand on the doorknob and opened the door. And the front door was wide open. It was so awesome. So I, was, I felt like there's a welcome mat coming up. There was like this moment where I, there's a welcome mat coming up right there. Like it was just like, come on in, you're home, you know? I mean, I felt like I was completely locked out. And you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to name my child that leaves every door unlocked. I'm not even going to look over. But I'm sure it was her. And she was knowing that she was doing it by the grace of God for her dad. Welcome home, you know? For the first moment, I praised her for that. I'm so thankful, and I, I don't know. I think, that, I think that God is warning us inadvertently. I think that we lock people out. Inadvertently, I think that there are times when they're circling the house going, can we find some people who truly are passionate for the things of God? And I want you to just share with you in closing God's heart and then open up a grand, more grand story in the new series next week about what family generationally looks like among one another. I think there's this message that God wants for us, and it's not the message, it's are you in, are you out? You seem to be walking a curvy road while I am very straight, and you don't fit here. I think we want to help people to understand that there is a grace message of welcome, that the kingdom of Christ is a place of people who have been made whole, and the reason we're a resurrected community is we haven't forgotten that we were raised from the dead. We haven't forgotten the moments when we were circling the house and for some reasons we couldn't just get the grasp of Jesus. We need you. And the moment that we did, we stumbled in and we're like, praise you, God. This is so good. And as a, as a church, we can't be a people. The answer that we have to have is you're so welcome here. You're so, you're so going to be amazed by grace here. You're going to be loved here. We We don't, as a body of believers, build high walls. We don't make surface-level convictions about our faith. 
We don't put up gates at the end of the road. And in fact, we tear them down. We don't put obstacles in front of people. We roll out the red carpet and we say, are you looking for a place to belong? Welcome. Unless you think this is my idea, here's Jesus. And again, I want to just read this, and then I want to come to the end of the story next week. All the tax this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is where he's sitting. All the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the, the Pharisees and scribes and the Southern Baptists were complaining. They said, this man, and listen to this word, listen to this word. This man welcomes. He's like going, a lot of you have been locked out. And you have been shunned. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, was not, I was not drawn to a faith that said you have to walk a straight line, and I am not very good at that. Some of you are, but if you ask me not to walk on the grass, I would like to suggest exactly where I'm going. And I had the great grace gift of finding some people who ran wildly for the sake of Christ and who welcomed me as a depth of sin sinner and said, I want to sit and I want to eat with you and I want to demonstrate for you, Mark Siegel, what it means to walk with the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ at your core. We're a place of grace. We're a place that says, we welcome you in the name of Jesus. And believe me, when I say this, and I don't say this lightly, this so disturbed the people that were sitting at the table with him that he didn't tell one parable, and he didn't tell two parables. He had to tell three stories just to get them to breathe. And Jesus is looking and saying, I want you to know that this has created tension. That when there's one coin missing, we'll sweep the house for you. And when we have 99 lambs, that's not enough. We have created an environment to say you are welcome here you can meet a resurrected Jesus here. I want you to go out and pursue that. And we will, we will go and pursue. We will be a people of persuasion. Life is hard. It is painful. And you are wearied. And we are a people of God. You are here. Welcome home among us. But I know for the third story is so powerful for me. And this is why we must be a resurrected community who live as a people breathing in the life of Jesus. Because you and I both have people that we have been praying for for a long season who are far from God. And what needs to happen when they return, when they wake up in the middle of the sewer and say, my father, this church, those people, they are eating well there. And I can go at least be a slave there. What happens when that happens when the wayward returns home? I don't like the answer as it first comes to mind as I think about church. But I like the second answer when this is the one Jesus gave. When you see the wayward coming home and they start circling your house and they're checking windows and they're checking doors. Here's what wouldn't even happen in Jesus' economy. They wouldn't even have the chance to check a window. They wouldn't have the chance to cue in the code and find out that it didn't work. They wouldn't have a chance to push the button in their car and find out it didn't work. They wouldn't have a chance to circle the house. Do you know why? Because the body of believers for the wayward who have gone far 
and who are doing anything but honoring Jesus and who would walk in here stinking and covered in dung, the body of Christ would rise up and be running down the street and we would pick them up and say, we're so glad you're here. Here's the place to belong. Here's the King of glory. Here is Jesus and He will make you whole. I have been as soiled as you and I haven't forgotten. Let me carry to the one who will give you wholeness. How do you know at Easter that Jesus is resurrected from the dead? I hang out with a bunch of Christians. I know. Because of the wonder of Christ among us. Welcome home. Yes, Jesus, I pray that you would give us three things. First, Lord, I pray for some of us in this room that you would give us a conviction to prepare our hearts. Give us a humility. Secondly, Jesus, I pray as a result of the Scripture and the myriad of passages that we have read today that you would give us a culture of transformation within this church, a people who celebrate. Finally, Lord, I pray that most of us, if not every one of us in this room, would go and purchase welcome mats to welcome those who are hurting and broken. Give us a passion to go when you call us to go, or like Paul and Silas, to stay when you call us to stay. But ultimately, give us a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are worthy of that. So we love to close our services just with a song. We're just abiding and resting in Christ for a few minutes before we make our way back out with the salt and light of Jesus. At this time, we we have an altar that is wide open for us to come to pray. We often have our pastors, and in fact, this morning, some of our pastors will be here. If you would like for someone to pray for you by name, you would just like to come and kneel before the Lord and just call out to Him of His grace and mercy and let me thank you for welcoming me home. Welcome you to come to this altar. You just want to sing with all of your heart, lifting holy hands and words to the King of glory. This is a great song. I pray that Jesus would just move draw us to his resurrection life as we sing as we worship as we pray as we prepare whatever needs to happen with you you are welcome to respond to God would you stand with me some of our pastors are here in the front would you sing this revelation song with me and would you worship the name of Jesus together